The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. As our team of Wild Eyes Foundation observers are in South Africa at the 17th Convention of Parties to CITES, that's the International Convention of Trade in Endangered Species of Flora and Fauna, we have been scouting around finding a number of amazing people doing amazing work with wildlife. Today, my guests are Drew Abramson and Paul Tully of Captured in Africa. We've previously discussed on this program the issues surrounding canned hunting and lions bred for the bullet. Drew and Paul have hands-on experience working with those lions and toward educating not only people, tourists, and the South African government as to why the so-called business of bread for the bullet is not in the best interests of wild lion or species conservation. Welcome, Drew and Paul. Hello. Hi, Ellie. It's nice to have you here. We've been Facebook friends for quite some time. We have, yes. yes good, to, good to finally catch up. Yes, it is. So, Drew, you're in South Africa. Where in South Africa are you, Drew? I'm I'm in Johannesburg in in South Africa. Okay. So I'm in one of the yeah the major cities. Okay, and then um, Paul, you're in the UK, correct? I am on the northeast coast of County Durham. Oh, I can hear that little twang in your so voice right there. It's, it's close to a <laughs> close to a Geordie accent, as yeah, you call it. Yeah, I can hear that. Sounds nice. <laughs> so when do you usually get to South Africa, Paul? It's every few months. Um, I'm next in South Africa at the end of November. So I try to get there quite regularly to, to visit the team there and, and visit a few facilities and, and reserves in the wild as well. So, All right. Excellent. So you just said two critical words, facilities and uh, places in the wild. So Drew, <laughs> help us understand. Let's give it a little personal background on both of you and how that led to going to Africa and getting involved in lions and why lion? Drew, let's start with you. Um, okay, I was I was born and raised here in Johannesburg in South Africa and with my parents, um, we used to frequent uh, Kruger National Park. Um, so I've, I've, I've kind of grown up um, visiting the bush and sort of having a, a love of wildlife anyway. 
Um, while we were visiting Krugo, we became very good friends with um, the vets uh, and rangers and everything in Kruger. And it sort of, it I think it opened up my world to, I don't know, the care, the caring of of wildlife. Um, although they're not d- domesticated animals, they they still need to be looked after. Um, with regards to because there are so many people on the planet, um, and in Africa. Africa, the the wildlife really has no no other place So they are surrounded by people, and the vets and and the guides and rangers are there to pretty much make sure that they they are kept safe and thriving. That's an important point to understand. Um, a lot of people, you know, they know Southern Africa and Southwest Africa, but not necessarily how different South Africa, the country is nor how large the continent of Africa is. So yes, I'd like yeah. to understand better. Um, in South Africa, and then Paul, we'll get to you and um, how you got involved in all of this. So in South Africa, mm-hmm. from what I understand, I have not visited South Africa yet. Most of the land yeah. is privately owned. And that the Kruger is one of the few large national parks of free-ranging yes. wildlife. Well, it's not really free-ranging. It's, um, it's, it's still fenced. So it's, the thing is, South Africa is, is different um, compared to the rest of Africa. Um, every single reserve that is in the country, whether it is private or, or government-owned, has got a fence around it. Um, so those animals do need to be sort of looked after in a sense. Um, they're not, they're not free, free roaming at all. Um, it's just too populated and, and too dangerous for, for the animals, never mind, never mind the people. Whereas the rest of Africa, you, you'll find all your reserves don't have, don't have those fences. Um, so wildlife is pretty much free to, to roam wherever it wants to. So that's going to be some important talking points that we're going to get into a little later in the program. But right now, let's get back to you, Paul. How did you get involved in Africa, coming from the north of the UK, and end up in South Africa and find Drew and why lions? Uh, it was a, a long story. Um, I'd never been to Africa before in my life. I haven't researched lions. I've studied lions in Africa. Um, I was a typical person who would grow up watching the the National Geographic documentaries, for example, and, and wanting to always travel to Africa and and everything as well. And it wasn't until 2013 when we started organising the first Global March for Lions. When I met Drew and I met a number of other colleagues and friends in, in South Africa, and that's how it all started for me. It started by taking a, an active stance in in campaigning against something. In this case, it was cant hunting, especially. So you went from uh, barely being a tourist and jumped right into advocacy and activism. I applaud you yeah. for that. I applaud you both for what you're doing. And you're both coming from very different backgrounds. So it's fun to see this come together today on our, our program. Let's... Let's follow up a little bit more on this lack of free-roaming wildlife. Um, it is wildlife. I mean, technically, they're yes. um, bred lions. They are not domesticated. Uh, yeah. But as you said, free-ranging versus fenced does make a big difference on how these animals 
not only respond to people in their enclosed, even if it's large, and or how vast some of these reserves may be, to those that have the ability to move freely and cross boundaries. The lions, evidently, in South Africa don't. So let's start with a little bit. When you get to a private reserve um, and you see lions, are those lions bred by the owner of that reserve? Or are they captured from the wild to keep a more genetic diversity? Or are all lion reserves, lion equal to lion parks and captive breeding? Or is there some of, I'm going to use quotation marks, the wild still mm. left giving you that experience that you're in the wild? Okay. Um, well, I do, just to just to um, explain a little bit with regards to the difference between your captive and your wild lions, um, you have a lot of um, breeding farms that have lions on them. The, the, those are all bre- uh, breeding stock. They all habituated to people. Um, these are the farms that um, where you find your lions. Um, that are being used for cupping, that are being used for tourist attractions, um, for school visits, for lion walks, all of those kinds of things. Um, now the reserves in 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 the country, um, it's it's mainly called a reserve because it has got wildlife in it, um, and the lions in those reserves are completely wild, and they have they haven't been been bred by anybody. They, they are free to live their lives as naturally as possible. Um, whereas your captive lions, um, they, they are fed sort of on a regular basis, two, three times a week, um, if they're lucky. Um, and they are, yeah, they looked after like sort of cows and chickens and sheep and that kind of stuff. You brought up an interesting point. You know, what's the difference between lions, cows and chickens? Um, yes. You know, There is a difference, and if you want to be a vegan, all life is the same, whether it's a cow, a chicken, or a lion, if or yeah. vegetarian. But, you know, in my mind, and from what I gather, both of your uh, outlooks and perspective, is lions are different. Um, they are wildlife. Mm. Chickens, cows are domesticated and created yes. for people. They're farmed for a purpose, and they're eaten. Lions, yes. um, it's an exotic meat. There's, you know, not many people eat carnivores. Um, people like to no. kill carnivores because they compete for our resources. But lions, you mm. know, this is a megafauna, iconic species that is critical to the ecosystem. And it keeps exactly. the balance where it lives. So when we start getting yeah, into yeah. fenced reserves, let's, let's stay here for a minute. Um, okay. When you get into a fenced reserve with a, quote unquote, wild fr- relatively free lion meaning it can move yes. where it chooses yes where do those lions come from were they fenced in they were there or were they stopped no, they, in yeah, there they were there they no were there. they were there they they yeah they've been there well take kruger national park for example it is such a huge area it's um about the size of israel i actually don't think people realize how big it actually is um and adjoining kruger You've got a lot of your private, on the western side, you have a lot of private um, reserves with their, their, and they have dropped their fences with Kruger. So it, it's, it's made the area a lot bigger. Um, all the animals in, in Kruger have pretty much, um, they, they were born there and they, they die there sort of thing. Um, so- whereas if you find, 
just for example, um, Medicra Game Reserve, um, for argument's sake, um, which is is about three hours from Joburg. It it's it's a much smaller reserve. It's about I would say seventy two thousand hectares. Um, they often because the area is a lot smaller. You can you only have a, a certain carrying capacity for any 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 form of game, not only lion. It goes for um, it goes for rhino, it goes for elephant, it goes for your plains game like your impala, giraffe, etc. Um, because it's such a like you say, it's such a fine um, balance between sort of your your predators and prey, and with regards to the ecosystem and the grazing, and it can't be overgrazed and. Um, there, there's a whole lot of consequences and game does need to be managed. So with a case with your smaller reserves, um, a lot of the time due to genetic purposes and also due to, to too many numbers of your predators like lion, they will need to either swap out. So they will swap um, a few of their lions with um, another private reserves lions to, to, to mix up the genetics a little bit. So in a sense, we do have good genetics in these wild lions on these enclosed reserves that are large. Yes. You know, that, yeah. that's, that's a, a lot of land. But yes. in the same time, these lions are being, I'm going to use the word interfered with or managed in such yes. a way that they have more encounters than usual for a wild lion elsewhere because yes. they're being yes. swapped. So yes. have you noticed that that has a change? Does that affect the lions when they get swapped around to ranches? Um, no, not really. Um, as, as long as it's, you know, they need to be habituated to that specific area. Any any kind of wild animal relocation, they need to be habituated. So for a few months, they will stay in that boma till they acclimatize. Then they will let them out and they carry on living their lives. Uh, we'll find a female breed, have cubs, um, you know, take over prides, whatever the case may be. Is exactly how a, a wild lion should be. So in these enclosed carrying capacity, limited carrying capacity places, you mentioned mm. also in our background culling, which is another yes. euphemism for killing. So when yes. the lion prides in these free-ranging areas or where they get to be lions and not interfered with, which we're going to get into later, the yeah. truly captive lions, um, yes. How do they keep these populations in check? Do they kill the cubs or do they swap those out as well? No. Or do they um, those cubs end up at a captive breeding farm? No, you, you will very rarely find um, cubs being taken away from a pride and it definitely not be taken out of a pride and put into a capt uh, captive facility. Um, the the when a reserve finds the need or if it's necessary to to cull um, lions, they will generally sort of go. They're not going to go for the for the, the the pride males or the the, the lions in their prime. Um, they will go for your 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 older sort of lion that has done his his bit the, for the, the ecosystem. The nomads. Yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. The, the nomads, they, they've sort of been kicked out of their prides. Um, they're not able to mate anymore. Um, so, yeah, the sad, that, and that's a very sad reality, and I don't think a lot of people um, understand understand that fact. And that's it's, why we're talking today, difficult. because South Africa, yeah. as you said, is very different than the rest of sub-Saharan Africa and wild uh, lion yeah. ranges. So, yeah. um 
Now, actually, you know, we've got to cut to a break here. So this is a great beginning. Stick with us, folks, because we're going to get into a whole host of other issues and how you, our listeners, can help. So uh, this is Ellie Weiss. You're listening to Our Wild World, and we'll be right back with my guests, Drew Abramson and Paul Tully. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back with my guests, Drew Abramson and Paul Tully, and we are talking lions. We're in South Africa today, and as we've talked about previously on this program and through uh, the first section of today's episode, uh, we're talking about the difference between wild lions and captive lions in a country, South Africa, where most of the land is fenced. And as we heard from Drew earlier, I, I guess I should rephrase that, that most all the land is fenced, except for one side of the Kruger, which is open to Mozambique. And we've talked about that in other episodes, and we'll address that again. So, Drew and Paul, this is where Captured in Africa comes into play. Uh, Drew, give us just a short um, intro of what Captured in Africa is about and why you started it. Um, okay, it's it's twofold. I I started the the business side, um, which is uh, the safari side, Captain Africa exclusive safaris, with the main aim to try and create as much awareness as as possible. Um, 
You know, I just, uh, such a, a major um, thing for me is to be able to to educate and create that awareness. And I think with so many thousands of um, visitors flocking to South Africa and even Africa um, from the rest of the world to go on, on safari or even if it's down to Cape Town, um, they come and take their amazing pictures and go home with not much um, information onto what's actually happening with regards to the wildlife in the country. Um, and I just thought it was a, that the perfect tool to to be able to educate at the tourists and they, they armed then with knowledge that they can take home with them. So they don't only have their, their pictures and their memories. They know about the, the issues with regards to canned hunting. They'll know about the issues with regards to wild lions. Um, and their decline in numbers and all of that kind of thing. And then from there, because of the rescues and the relocations that we do do, um, I started the the foundation. Um, you know, I just needed to, because I'd been approached by so many people um, with regards to helping and they wanted to donate. Um, and obviously you can't do it on a personal capacity. So the foundation was launched and that's, that's, these are the tools that we use to get the message across and also to help um, organizations on the ground. Well, this is great, um, you know, because tourists do need this education. And I'm really seeing the difference talking with you because uh, I spend most of my time in sub-Saharan Africa, as I've, I've mm. said. You know, and a lot of tourists, you want to see the big five, take a picture, move on, where, what's next, go back to the yeah. camp, you know, enjoy the spa, the boutique camp. The wildlife has almost become relegated to secondary to the experience mm. lately. Yeah. So in yeah. a place like South Africa, where it's all relatively contained, you know, the safari experience from the get-go is very different. And um, mm. so I'm, I'm getting a clearer picture of what it's like to be there and deal with what you do. So, Paul, this is where, let's hear from you. This is sort of where you jump in. You came as a mm. tourist, but instead of a tourist on the Big Five safari, you jumped right into advocacy and activism. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, the first thing I, I knew about and educated myself about was canned hunting and in the captive industry. And that was the campaign that we, we obviously started, or I started in, in 2013. But then when you start to learn about that, you start to learn about the, the tourism side and the volunteering side. And you start seeing tourists and young and older volunteers who are going to South Africa to obviously play with lion cubs and cheetah cubs, tiger cubs in South Africa as well. So you start to see all that. And then you start to, to link it all together. And it's a, South Africa is a destination which is a, a very busy destination. It's, there's lots to do. You've got Johannesburg where there's an awful lot to do. And you have visitors who want to do everything within the confines of a city, for example, like Johannesburg. So that's when you start to get the, the line parks and so on to provide something for tourists to do. So to get the opportunity to obviously pet lion cubs. So what I'm seeing here is there's kind of two mentalities going on in South Africa that I'm not used to. I'm not used to encountering this. Um, so you've got the mentality of, as Paul just said, provide every experience 
within the city limits in an urban confine for those people who have a limited amount of time and want to get it all. So, and then you've got the experience of going a little farther out, away from the urban area, to see wildlife in the wild with a sense that you don't see fences. So in South exactly. Africa, it's fenced, but evidently there's some large enough reserves and confines that you don't feel you're being fenced. You're not driving along yeah. a fence. So yeah. Um, yeah. these two mentalities, how, how did it come up to be that only South Africa has gotten onto this bandwagon of captive canned lions? Not only captive for the tourist information, and it boggles my mind that tourists don't connect the dots of everything we've learned mm. of what canned hunting and these lion parks are about. So we're going to talk a little mm. about that. But why is it that South Africa is on this bandwagon, unlike any other place in Africa? Oh, that's a good question. I actually don't know how the whole thing came about. I think the industry started with places like the Lion Park, um, where you could go and sort of, you know, pet pet the cubs and have photographs taken and all the rest, and then go on a lion walk and and then all of a sudden you sit with a problem of you have now these excess lions and you're not quite sure what to do with them, um, because you know. The, the 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 lifespan of a petting cub and a walking lion is is very short in the greater scheme of things of a lion's life. A lion, if if it's looked after and healthy, can live um, well beyond the age of fifteen. Um, if if like I say, if it's if it's looked after properly, and um, it has things to do cub, for survival to keep yeah, itself alive. Yeah. It's busy. It's yeah. got a job. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the lions, though, um, you know, a lot of them for, for petting purposes and walking purposes will will come in from a breeding farm, which is away from your main cities like in the Free State or the Northwest or Limpopo province. Um, the cubs are born. They will then come through to the various um, facilities within Joburg, Cape Town, uh, wherever, you know, the facilities are. Um, and as soon as they reach about three or four months, you know, they, lions are lions. Lions have very sharp claws and big teeth. And even at cubs, they are, as cubs, they are incredibly strong. Um, and there's no ways that children will be able to sit with a four-month-old cub on their lap without either getting their head taken off or scratched or bitten or whatever the case may be. So the shelf life if you want to call it that, for lack of a better word, is very short. Um, with regards to a walking lion, um, the, the cutoff age for um, a walking lion is the age of two, um, which is ridiculous because a, a lion at the age of two can actually kill you. Um, so then once these facilities are finished, you know, these lions have served their purpose, they then go back to the breeding farm. The breeding farm only has... Uh, sort of a, a carrying capacity, same as your reserves. It only has a, a permit for a certain amount of lions. So you can't, you know, you can't end up with a property that has 500, 600 lions on one property. Number one, it's incredibly expensive to keep them um, and feed them. They're veterinary bills. They should have extra supplements and um, vitamins and minerals that they would normally get in the wild. Um, from their mothers, 
you know, when they're cubs and from eating and hunting game meat. Um, so in captivity, they don't get all of that. They're pretty much fed a diet um, of chicken, um, which get, doesn't give them, you know, everything that they need. So, you know, these lions end up unhealthy because it's expensive to, to keep them healthy. So you're sitting with um, a breeding farm that has got too many lions. So what do they do with them? They go into the hunting. So this is our next little step off. So the life cycle of a a bred canned lion, and the term canned comes from the hunting industry for trophy hunts, and basically it means it's in the can, it's in the bag. You are guaranteed Mm. a lion kill. So these surplus excess lions, when they've no longer, can no longer serve their quote unquote purpose, which is to Mm. lure in tourists and um, to feed them, to walk with them, and then they are transferred out back to lion camps. And what was it a couple years ago and before, people have been killed. Uh, from these lions because as you've made it clear they are fed and it usually comes through a vehicle so um, Mm -hmm. I'm gathering that these lions are rather bored they don't have a lot to do they're camped in age groups they're not in actual Mm -hmm. prides so you've got various parks of age groups of lions in enclosures and then somebody orders a lion it's like calling up for takeout pizza I want a lion. Cost them fifty thousand yeah. dollars. They come, and these lions are so habituated. There was recently uh, a BBC clip uh, yes. ex- exposed of an, an awful situation of uh, canned hunting, and you can whistle at these yes. lions. They're so habituated to people that there's no fear, and then you just walk yeah. up and you shoot it. This is not awesome. what how we drew Paul, me, uh, wildlife conservationist view. A future for wildlife but this seems to be where it's going in South Africa so what's going on at CITES right now lions are on the table and mm. maybe you both can help me understand the Professional Hunting Association of South Africa FASA what is mm. I think since the release of blood lions and Chris Mercer's campaign for against canned hunting and all the work mm. that's done and now US Fish and Wildlife's uplisting of the lions to both Appendix 1 and Appendix 2. And Mm. Appendix 2 means they can be killed, exported, whatever, used, as long as it has a conservation benefit. Appendix 1, full protection. So depending on where the lions are, it's either Appendix 1 or Appendix 2. So um, a lot of work has been done, and let's let's find out what uh, you and Paul are doing to um, help people understand that... The life cycle of a canned lion is limited, and then how do you how do you tell a tourist? Give me a story of how you tell a tourist with a child that this lion is going to end up dead. Mm. How do you go about doing that oh. when you go into schools? Uh, following somebody who's brought in a cub, and we all know these animals are not defenseless, and uh, that's mm. why they live in the wild and can survive so give it give i'd like to hear an experience that both of you um have had dealing with an actual hands-on real world time where you had to tell somebody and they found out and they were like mind boggled that this is what's happening well i think with myself uh 
Drew was a little bit more hands-on with, with Lions than I am. Um, with myself, it's been a lot of volunteers. I've spoken to volunteers who've possibly volunteered at a lion breeding facility in South Africa. And they've volunteered maybe six months ago. And there's been a few occasions where we've spoken to those volunteers and we've informed them, look, this is what you're supporting. Do you know where those lines are that you cared for? And there's been more than one occasion where the volunteers actually gone back to the, the breeding facility and tried to find out where those lines were or where a particular line was that they cared for. And there was actually no sign of those lines at the breeding facility. So straight away, you've got a huge doubt cast in your mind and in the volunteer's mind of where the line's gone to. And that's when some of the things start to click into place about what we try to educate. The lines get moved on. The lines get sold onto third parties. And that's how the breeding facilities hide behind this cloak and veil, so to speak. They're able to sell a lion or return a lion back to a lion farmer. And they move, they move the lions on. So the, I'm, I, I'm kind of speechless because it just boggles me completely that a tourist petting a lion cub, yes, they're fun, they're cute. Of course we want to interact. And Drew, you made a comment, you know, everybody wants one. That yeah. every time you see on Facebook or a post a cute picture of a cub, somebody oh, mm. undoubtedly says, I want one. And lion yeah. cubs are available, tiger cubs are available. All you have to do is Google buy a lion, buy a tiger. Yeah. They're out there. Yeah. So it's they for sale everywhere. Everywhere. And it's this mm. human something um, that makes us want to capture and own the wild as opposed to identify mm. it with its freedom. We seem to identify I, with I think it wanting to yeah. love us. It's a very selfish it's a very selfish way to live. Um you know, people even, you know, sometimes you'll educate some people like in South Africa, we have, we, we're actually fortunate enough to have quite a few sort of like outdoor expos and, and things like that, where we all go and set up a stand and have a few flyers and banners and videos showing where you're able to engage with the public, um, you know, that are walking past and just explain the whole situation to them. A lot of them know about it. A lot of them don't know about it. And when they do find out, they are absolutely horrified. Um, the one, some of them are just, they just actually don't care. And it, it's, it does my head in because, you know, when you find out about the fact that this little cub that you're going to pet is one day going to be shot because it's so tame and habituated to people, um, from sort of a distance of a meter, um, it's just what goes through the person's mind when they know that and they have that, that information on hand to still carry on doing what they're doing, to still take their family to whichever facility it is. Um, and I just think it's purely selfish reasons um, because it is. It's, it's, it's the most amazing, and, and I, I'm the first one to admit it because I have this experience often because of the relocations and rescues. Um, it's the most incredible experience to, it's just lions work on a completely different level, which is, they, they, they affect you emotionally. So for anybody coming into contact with cubs and with young lions will almost have this uh, reverence, affection, 
um, connection or whatever it is, whatever whatever word you want to use with them. And it's almost like they have this need to carry on, on doing it, I think. Um, so they just turn a blind eye, you know, and it's a whole re-educating process that's got to take place. You, you can't really sort of... If you are with a family and they've got little kids, you know, you can't just turn around and, and start speaking to the kids about this whole thing because you've got to be a little bit more sensitive with regards to that. So you have to try and educate the parents as, as much as possible. Um, but, you know, and I'm sure Paul, Paul and Stephanie are, are working on school educa- education programs that we're busy developing to take into schools in Johannesburg. Um, so I'm sure he'll fill you in about that. But it's just, you know, people need to wake up. And and, and another thing that the, 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 the institutions that we need to get on our side with regards to this are the hotels and the, the B&Bs and the all those the sort tourist of tourist industry. facilities in mm-hmm. yes in Johannesburg in in sort of PE Cape Town wherever they need to you know they they turn around and pretty much say oh you know our clients are asking for it um don't advertise it and then they won't ask it's easy it's so easy to to change people's minds with regards to doing something don't offer something that is so immoral just because you can make money from it you know, you they need to really need to stand up and and start helping with regards to the fight about this. They and, they they just have to do it. And thank you Definitely. for saying that. So we need to cut to a break, and we're going to be right back. And Paul, uh, I'd like you to step in and tell us some of the education work you're doing. So listeners, stick with us. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World with my guests Drew Abramson and Paul Tully with Captured in Africa. So during the first part of our program, once again, we've learned of this human selfish thing that we do to connect with the wild, which isn't really the wild. So there's something about there is a draw and our deep human history and links to lions throughout history. But what's happening with this captive canned population of lions, it's kind of destroying that link between humans and the wild. And as Druid said, for this instantaneous gratification, I want it now. Go see a lion, pet a lion cub. I've interacted. Now move on. So Paul, uh, Captured in Africa, does a lot of work in educating and changing this mindset. As we heard from Drew talking to tourists as they're cutting, excuse me, petting cubs. But the work begins a little farther back where you can actually reach the children. So Captured in Africa does education programs, and Paul has done some of these presentations in schools. Paul, tell us how this works. What what do you do when you go into a classroom? Well, the first thing we do is determine what the the school wants to do. It depends if the the school approaches us or if we approach the school. Um, We do a lot of approaches to schools ourselves who are local in Johannesburg and sometimes even last week for example Drew had a contact from a member of the public who wanted to educate the children on on cub petting so we'll easily go into the school with a a set program of it'll be a mix of fun activities for the, the children it'll also be a display a sort of gentle soft display so nothing too hard nothing reflecting the the canned hunting side, because obviously that's a, a far more violent sort of side to portray sometimes to, to some of the, the younger kids. So what we try and do is we go with a soft approach. So we target the cub petting and the walking with lions especially, because we want that hand to come off the lions. So if we get educate children to, to know that it's wrong to touch a lion, to put their hands on wildlife, to hands off wildlife then obviously we're going to educate children. and But all, it all starts with the parents. And it's the same with the tourism industry, like, like Drew was just saying. So if let's, we, say, let's say you've gone yeah. into a school, whether you've approached the school or they've approached you, and that same classroom has just come away recently from an experience where a breeder came in with a lion cub. All right? And now you're mm. following up saying why that's wrong. And I understand mm-hmm. age-sensitive and appropriate uh, presentations, but eventually, at a certain age, they can make the connection of this mm-hmm. is going to be killed because we mm-hmm. enjoy it. That's basically what canned hunting is about. So how do you deal with that experience after the kids just had a great time petting this lion cub, or maybe one got scratched? What do some of the kids say? Mm. Well, I think I think Drew can, can speak there. Uh, she's obviously had experience with one particular travelling company who, who actually take lion cubs to school. So yeah. 
Yeah, there's 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 a specific uh, breeding farm in the Free State, and they have cubs that are are kind of shipped to Joburg and based um, in Joburg. Um, that they they approach various schools with um, under the, the the guise of of education and you know just to teach the kids about about um, lions and all the rest. And my whole thing is you don't you sh- you shouldn't really have to take a cub to a school to teach children about um, our wildlife. Um, you know, well, it's if kind of they- cross-purpose, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it just it that's it exactly. It's just it, it, lions are not supposed to be in classrooms and in people's gardens and lounges and and whatever. They're supposed to be in the bush, but it's 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 difficult to you can kind of gauge children if they are super sensitive. You you pick it up and you and you and it's also def, definitely age specific. Um, like your really little kids, you know, you have to talk to them on on their level, um, and they 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 engage actually, and it's and it's quite amazing, and they and they they're a lot more receptive than parents can even be. Um, you know, the parents you'll see they'll lose interest and kind of turn around and walk away, but the kids will stay there and and they'll turn around and they'll walk away. But and it's and it's so amazing to see how they come back and they they, they want to carry on engaging with you and talking to you. And then you can give them a little pamphlet. I mean, we have brochures and pamphlets and everything that have been printed and and it's sort of got the cycle on it. But, you know, from from being born to the cub petting, and then, but it's not like as as Paul was saying, it's not it's not portrayed in a violent way. Um, so you know, the images on Facebook that you see, um, you know, won't be shown to to the little kids of about four or five years old because they're just, uh, you know, I don't know. We don't want to traumatize them. We want that. to engage no, them. No, no, exactly. You need to be honest. You have to. You have to be honest. There, there's. There's no beating about the bush. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but you can do it in such a way that it's not, it doesn't completely destroy their, their faith in humanity. Um, and hopefully engaging them to get on board with conservation and changing yeah, this, this paradigm of where humans are today. That leave the, the most, wild alone. Yeah, yeah, we've got the most amazing little school down in Durban, actually, which is about... 600 k's away from Joburg um, and the headmistress actually came to the launch of the foundation and she was so taken aback by by what she had heard and learned that she went back to her school with these little kids um, and they've started an eco-rangers club and they are avid Captain Africa Foundation supporters and they, they um, do presentations on lions and um, they use the hashtags of save big cats and they are so, they raise funds. I mean, they're just the most amazing, amazing little children. And But the point is, it's actually so easy to do. If you have got your teachers and your principals and your parents who buy into the re-education, it's so easy to get the kids to, to follow suit. Because children pretty much mimic exactly what their parents or what other adults that they spend a lot of time with, they mimic their actions and they follow on in their beliefs. So if the parents and, the, and like I say, the headmistresses and masters, if they change 
you know, their way of thinking, then the, 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 the kids are going to follow suit. And that's exactly where the future of our wildlife lies in the hands of our children. Um, and so we're talking it's about a huge the thing for us. And, and we're talking about the future it, in, in the sense that it is not some place in the distant, in distant time. Mm. The future is mm. now. And working with children yes. now changes the yes. future tomorrow. So mm. lions yep. are running out of time. Not only have wild lion populations decreased across sub-Saharan Africa to the point that there's only three really um, viable genetic strains, and then we have this whole captive population, and uh, this has got to stop. Um, I'm just going to come out mm. and say it. It's got to stop. Mm. Definitely. Excuse me, as cap- canned captive lions have no conservation value. As an individual, it's wonderful to meet them. Every animal has a personality, and it's great to see that. But when we're talking landscape (laughs) conservation and species survival plans, canned lions, as much as you may love a particular individual, has no place in the bigger picture. And as as hard Mm. as it is to say that, when you've actually met and had hands-on with these lions, take Kevin Richardson, the lion whisperer. Mm. His whole thing is do as I say, not as I do. But once you've had a lion, your hand on a lion, that's an experience you will remember forever. So what we need to do, as you've just said, is take your hand off the lion. And I love that line, Paul. That's really wonderful. So listeners, what you can do is you can donate to Captured in Africa. And look them up on the web at uh, capturedinafrica.com and uh, read. They've got some great information of the education programs that they do, working not only with school children, but with uh, wildlife management uh, strategies and uh, veterinarians to get this message out there that canned hunting has to stop. Because as we all know, it ends in a bullet. Um, and the lions have really have no future. So um, we've got just a couple minutes here left. So uh, what's going on at CITES? The canned hunting is on the table. And hopefully the FAZA, the Professional Hunters Association, will back away with this. We're not going to get into hunting today. It's a whole mm-hmm. other issue and um, yeah. quite contentious. But what we can do is ban the can, right? Yes. And uh, yeah. so what would be, we've got a couple minutes here. Uh, what would be your final message? The whole program today has been excellent informa- information. But what would be your final message to, let's say, kids elsewhere outside of South Africa to get on uh, the activist side and advocate for banning this? What could we do here in the U.S. or Kazakhstan, for example, to educate people what they can do? Well, every every child can can do something. Again, a lot is coming from the adults and the parents and the industry leaders, the hoteliers, the accommodation providers. Everyone can do something. Uh, I actually helped a school in New York set up a, a Cecil a Cecil competition, which they did last year, and they built a a giant Cecil out of milk cartons. Ah. And it was to it was to raise awareness for obviously 
following what happened to Cecil in Zimbabwe and so yeah so things like that any sort of skill competitions well then maybe we can follow up with you since you've sort of created this packet that we could continue this on through our new launch of the Wild Eyes Revolution to create mm. a movement to raise awareness to kids elsewhere around the world Definitely. that could be mm. traveling so that mm. would be a wonderful thing and to you follow know up. and another thing sorry Ellie just to touch on that what, what kids love doing is you know when they have a project at school this is um this seems to be a, a topic that a lot of um, international children are are actually choosing with regards to educating and they they're coming up with the most amazing projects and um sort of awareness little skits that they're doing in front of their classes and their, their parents are recording them and actually putting it onto social media and it's an amazing way to get it out there um, I think um, to the to the rest of of the kids throughout the world you know Definitely. from uh, you know that's fabulous that's an fabulous. online sort of competition between countries <laughs> I don't know there's there's so many mm. things that you can do to involve children well, if you could, if you could perhaps send me some of those links, I would love to include it with this episode to engage children, um, not only in listening to this program, but what they could do at home and take on a project. Paul, you were going to say something. Yeah, the the actual Durban school that Drew mentioned. People can log on to our our website, capturedinafrica.com, and go to the blog. Uh, the Durban school is actually on there, so they'll see a few photos of the children all celebrating with their the lion masks and and so on. So check out the blog and you'll see the Durban school kids doing something for, for lions and big cats. That's wonderful. And while you're on the web, check out uh, Captured in Africa's Facebook page, Andrew Abramson's Facebook page, and Paul Tully's Facebook page. They also work with uh, companion organizations collaborating with Walking with Lions. And what are a couple of the others? One was actually Walking for Lions. Not walking with lions. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, a, a, a slight difference there. It's just, uh, <laughs> more than slight, yeah. 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 <laughs> sorry, Drew. My bad. <laughs> Drew? Um, no, we, we, we work with quite a few organizations. You know, we really um, try and make sure that, you know, we, we work with people with the same sort of morals and mindsets as what we do. Um so the yeah there, there's quite, there's quite a few. Um, we work quite quite closely with the Bloodlines team. Um, yeah, as you say, walking for lions, sort of legitimate sanctuaries and other NGOs that are on the ground. Um, mm. Cape Leopard Trust. Uh, what else, Paul? Well, and it's the website captured in Africa. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. we're out of time today. And uh, you mentioned Blood Lions, and Ian Mickler is going to be on our program again a little later in the month. And uh, Agreed. so we've done a lot with Blood Lions and getting that word out there. Strong message, hard to watch, not necessarily yeah. for children. But when the time is right, it's time for everybody to get on board and stop and ban can hunting so unfortunately we're out of time drew paul thank you so much for your time today thank, thank you. you thank you very and much. uh i look forward to meeting you someday and uh stay tuned uh to what you're doing and that's it for today this is ellie weiss and our wild world thank you again for joining us this week be sure to tune in next monday at 11 a.m eastern time 8 a.m pacific time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 